0: Good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year to all of you. We'll start with our very first reading of this year from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda. Our topic this week is At the Heart of Silence, the Eternal Word. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. John, Chapter 1, these immortal lines appear. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Human vision beholds individuality and separation everywhere. Divine vision beholds the oneness of cosmic vibration, of which all things no matter how diverse our manifestations. Cosmic sound, the word of God, and cosmic light, these are eternal. The world, as revealed to us by our senses, is illusory. In Autobiography of a Yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda relates an early experience he received of the divine aspect of reality. Sitting on my bed one morning, I fell into a deep reverie. What is behind the darkness of closed eyes? This probing thought came powerfully into my mind. An immense flash of light at once manifested to my inward gaze. Divine shapes of saints sitting in meditation posture in mountain caves formed like miniature cinema pictures on the large screen of radiance within my forehead. Who are you? I spoke aloud. We are the Himalayan yogis. The celestial response is difficult to describe. My heart was thrilled. I longed to go to the Himalayas and become like you. The vision vanished but the silvery beams expanded in ever-widening circles to infinity. What is this wondrous glow? I am Ishwara. I am light. The voice was as murmuring clouds. I want to be one with thee. Out of the slow dwindling of my divine ecstasy, I salvaged a Permanent legacy of inspiration to seek God. Wise are we if we meditate on that experience of Yogananda's and salvage from it even a breath of his inspiration. For, quite simply, there is nothing else. As the Bhagavad Gita says in the seventh chapter, I make and unmake this universe. Apart from me, nothing exists, O Arjuna. All things, like the beads of a necklace, are strung together on the thread of my consciousness and are sustained by me. Thus, through holy scripture, God has spoken to mankind. <coughs> oh.
1: Everyone. It's this is a beautiful time between New Year's and Master's birthday, also with Christmas in there. It's kind of like a extended holy season for us. I'm going to read from Whispers from Eternity. I'm going to read the very first whisper. And I would like to suggest that you memorize it. It's very, very easy because this one in particular is like the skeleton key that opens the door to all right attitudes. Or for those of you who are into healing, this is the rescue remedy for every difficulty. So, And it's very simple in its concept, but very profound. This is the cosmic salutation, and it's inspired by the Bhagavad Gita, the Hindu Bible O Spirit I bow to thee in front of me behind me on the left and on the right I bow to thee above and beneath I bow to thee all around me I bow to thee within and without I bow to thee everywhere for thou art everywhere see what I mean by it being the universal attitude that allows us to have the proper attitude in everything. This is the day before Master's birthday. Actually, no, not quite. Another half hour. It'll be Master's birthday in India. So probably while we're speaking it will transit into Master's birthday. And so we'll speak mainly about him but we'll reference the readings from the uh, scriptures that we heard. But I want to start, Davy G, and uh, that's the Indian terminology. Davy G, you always add G to the end. Davy and I write a weekly blog, and uh, the blog that came out—it comes out on Thursday night. And so the blog that came out was about Master. And so I thought I would read that. And then, because we're limited, or self limited to 500 words or less, uh, I'll now have a little more freedom and a little more words. In the beginning was the word, after all. So, so I will expand on these thoughts a little bit. So, this is the blog. Paramahansa Yogananda's mission was to help usher the whole world with greater understanding and spiritual insight into Dwapara Yuga the new age of energy in which we live some day Swami Kriyananda wrote i believe he will be seen as the avatar of Dwapara Yuga it was a world changing mission and therefore his teachings needed to be revolutionary In some cases, what he taught was well known in India, but created a revolution in the West. Others of his teachings were completely new to this age. Let's look at some of both. Number one, the title of this is Seven Revolutionary Teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Number one, only God exists. God is both beyond and within all manifestation. He dreams this world into existence and every atom and star is created from his consciousness. The goal of life is to awaken from the dream and realize our unity with him. Why revolutionary? This ancient Vedic teaching is new to the West which views creation as wholly separate from the creator. Today we read from the Gospel of John which is the most uh, mystical of all the gospels he was the deepest in that sense and it begins by saying in the beginning was the word but it doesn't ask the question nor do scientists ask the question what was there before the beginning and as we speak There is something before the beginning of the words that we use, which is the thought or the consciousness. And then we take that thought, we take that consciousness, and we vibrate. We literally vibrate our vocal cords, which vibrates air. That produces a sound, and we've learned to both produce an intelligible sound, if not always an intelligent sound. (laughs) And people have learned to hear that in such a way that the consciousness of the speaker and the consciousness of the listener are thereby joined together by that vibration. But the consciousness precedes the vibration. And so it is with God. There is still consciousness, just the pure consciousness of God. Lahiri Mahashaya called that still prana. And then that still prana, a small part of it, because the words we speak are only a small, small part of the totality of our consciousness. Isn't that true? And so just a small part of God's consciousness is put into vibration or the Word. And that vibration is what manifests all of creation. So in the beginning of creation was the Word. But before was the consciousness, which has not yet produced itself into the word. And so that creates everything that is. And that creation, since everything that it is, is a creation of God's consciousness, by extension, that means that you and I, and everyone else, and every atom, and every star is only an extension of God's consciousness. And the West views God as separate from the Creator. Our religious background makes us think of God as separate from us. And the most we can aspire to, generally speaking, is to go to heaven and sit near God, maybe on his right hand, which is where Jesus sits. But... The Indian scriptures talk about that that still, see, that concept still is an extension of the outward creation of God. Heaven is still outward, even though it's more subtle, even though perhaps it's everlasting. Nonetheless, it is still an extension. I mean, it's, it's still something separate, apparently, from God. But what we want is to merge back into god and so that we become one with him and that's the difference by and large between the hindu concept of moksha freedom complete freedom uh, and and uh, the western concept of living a good life and going to heaven number two daily meditation Stilling the mind is the way to see behind the dream. Meditation consists of withdrawing outwardly directed prana, subtle energy or life force, and focusing it at the spiritual eye, concentrating on God or on one of his qualities, light, sound, joy, peace, calmness, love, wisdom, and joy. Why revolutionary? When Yogananda came to America in 1920, almost no one meditated. Now millions do daily. Number three, prana. Prana keeps us alive, keeps us healthy, keeps us magnetic, and allows us to succeed. All aspects of life are improved when we learn to control it. For to control energy is to gain control also over all things material. Yogananda taught the teachings of Kriya Yoga and the energization exercises to help us gain this control. He often said that the true altar is not in any church, but in our own central nervous system. Why revolutionary? The importance of life force is only now entering the fringes of science and the healing arts. Master talked very extensively. In fact, we could say that the core of his teachings revolved around energy and around prana. This age of Dwapara Yuga is the age of energy. And so this prana is the link between consciousness and matter prana, the energy, is the link between our thought, then we have to energize something, in this case the vocal cords, in order to produce the word which makes our thought manifest. And so prana is the energetic link between consciousness and matter. And as such, in order to get back to pure consciousness... We have to go across that bridge of prana. And Master, all of his teachings, everything revolves around this. Last night I was talking about, I'm, I was reading before um, before service. I, we always like to read something from Master to tune in. And I was reading on uh, how to channel the power of inspiration. And he talked about very very powerfully in his talks his lectures when I first heard his voice I was just I was stunned with the power that he was able to manifest through his voice and so that power is available to all of us that prana is available to all of us and it doesn't just connect to a little puddle of prana It connects to a vast ocean. Everything in this universe is manifested out of that prana. And we are connected to it. One could think that each of us is the end point of that vast ocean of prana. And so if we believe, that's, that's why Jesus says in the Bible, if you had the faith of a grain of mustard, you could move mountains. If we actually have faith, that's the inner knowing. If we have the inner knowing that we can channel that prana, then we can manifest anything that we want to. We can move mountains, literally. That's a high order of that ability to to manifest things through prana. But all of us can manifest, and in this article about How to draw inspiration and creativity. He talked about how all of us must become channels for that creative flow because without it, we can't connect with the creator that is is making that prana available to us. And he said there are three kinds of creative inspiration basically, large, medium, and small. He said, small inspiration is the kind of inspiration that takes creativity of others and just adds a little twist to it. So it makes it seem like it's like it's something new. I don't know, make up something. Oh, here's, you know, my mother used to butter bread or toast, but I've got a new idea. I'll butter it on both sides. So that's... That's a kind of a creative inspiration, but it's just a slight addition to the creative idea of someone else. Then he said that medium-sized creation is something that actually is new, but it's not of great consequence. You know, you come up with a new song or a new painting, or you have a new idea that you do at work, or something that's new that isn't just an extension of what someone's done before but it doesn't affect lives very largely and then he said but the but the great creators the great manifestors have inspiration because he said we all come into this life like genetically programmed to be creative and According to how much faith and how much energy we're able to channel, because it's not our own, it's always God's. According to how much energy we're able to channel, we can do great creations which change the lives of hundreds, millions of people in the world. And those great creations, and he cited Edison and uh, you know Burbank and. Others of his age, those great creators uh, channeled the kind of energy that uplifted the whole of society. So all of this is the channeling of prana and the channeling of prana or energy has to do with our consciousness. It's channeled by will and so the consciousness that we have and focused willpower allows like a real step, the switch to open up, and then it's God's power that manifests everything, but God's power flowing through us because he created this world in order that we all might enjoy the educational and entertainment value of creation. Four, karma and reincarnation. Every thought, feeling, and action creates a wave of energy that is destined to return to us. As we give, so shall we receive. The results of our own past actions create the circumstances and events of life. The way to free ourselves from this karmic cycle is to accept life, control our reactive processes, Be even minded and cheerful and dissolve the ego. Why revolutionary? Appreciation of the importance of karma is beginning to sweep the world and change behavior. Five, we don't need to leave the world. Yogananda's mission was in part to help us see God in every person and activity. Why revolutionary? In the past, sincere seekers avoided worldly activity and withdrew to caves or monasteries. Number six, the desire to be happy and to avoid pain is the universal motivation behind every action. Over lifetimes, our definition of what makes us happy evolves. At first, happiness is sought in laziness and sensuality then an ego-centered accumulation of possessions or power. Gradually, this evolves into an altruistic desire to help others. And finally, the yearning for self-realization, which alone brings the joy we have always sought. Why revolutionary? People everywhere seek things, imagining that happiness lies outside themselves, And number seven, spiritual communities provide the optimal environment for the pursuit of happiness and God. Why revolutionary? The spiritual community movement is only now starting with the Ananda communities as forerunners. Paramahansa Yogananda's revolutionary teachings need to be applied both culturally and personally. While these seven points only scratch the surface of what he taught, each is worth a meditation or two to see how they might apply in your life. So Master came really at, at the juncture of two different ages. The old Kali Yuga, where everything was seen as form or outward extension. And In that age, a particular kind of spirituality was correct because the consciousness of mankind wasn't expanded enough yet in this great cycle of ages, wasn't expanded enough to see things as energy, as prana, as consciousness, as vibration, because everything seemed only solid and only hard and, and material. But now the age of energy has come. And as Swami said many times, he feels that Master and this line of Masters are the line to help us understand the behaviors and attitudes and right way to uh, connect with God in this age of energy, in this age of Dwapara Yuga. And so the great power and great consciousness that Master came with, I mean, he electrified this country. You know, he came in 1920. By the time he, by the mid-20s, he began his spiritual campaigns going around and teaching. I mean, when when you read about what he did we've all heard oh he went around and he gave some talks and he you know he gave a talk at carnegie hall and he gave a talk in seattle and so on and we think oh yeah well he kind of rested up during the rest of the week and gave a talk on saturday night and that was it he electrified a whole nation with his consciousness he would go and he would Go to Minneapolis, and he would do a month long course in teachings, teaching every night of the week. And he would give programs during the day and uh, meet with people and the press. And he was constantly busy, constantly focused on being a channel for these teachings to pour into the West and change the consciousness. Why America? Why did he come here? Because America was just started as a country at the beginning of Dwapara Yuga. And so it was fresh. He could have stayed in India. These teachings, you know, these Vedic teachings, many of which is what he was bringing, were already well known in India. But Swamiji too found when he tried to take Yoganandaji's new creative expression of these back to india at first they were just kind of oh yes yes you're young you're an american we've been living these teachings just sit down and be quiet don't try to say too much we'll tell you when you can speak kind of attitude and that was not what master wanted he wanted this energy to change the consciousness of mankind throughout the world. Now, a couple of generations later, when India is now completely open to the West, the fact that Master brought these teachings to the West, and we come back as Americans from the West with the ancient teachings of India, they're better received than they would be if that process hadn't happened. But it's a world-changing process. And we are incredibly fortunate to be in on the beginning of that wave of energy and to be channels for that consciousness to come into the world. Because we are changed by that which we accept and flow through us. Master, I would say, for the disciple, uh, we've been talking mainly about what Master put out, but what about us? What do we need to do? For us, we need to be receptive to what he gave. You know, there's it's it's like he's the sun and he's sending out this energy and if we're receptive to that energy, then we grow. In India, they call Uh, excuse me, in Italy, they call sunflowers girasole, meaning sun turners. And it's a beautiful image because here's a plant that grows and knowing that on some level of consciousness, because even atoms are conscious, so plants certainly are at a certain level, it knows that it is receiving its energy from the sun And so it actually turns and follows the sun throughout the day. And so if you watch a sunflower, it will turn throughout the day and follow the sun on its path across heavens. And then what happens as a result when it's focused and receptive? It becomes, one could say as close as anything can to a plant's image of what the sun is beautiful golden aura around it, big golden petals, and in the center all these seeds that nurture and are nourishing. And so it becomes an image of the sun. And so we too, with Master's teachings, if we become like that, tune in and follow them. As he says in his beautiful poem, God, 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 the spotlight of my mind ever keeps turning. On thee, and in the battle din of activity, my silent war cry will be God, God, God. And so, if we keep our consciousness constantly turned toward Him and constantly receptive to His teachings, then we become an image of Him. That was the secret of Swamiji's life. Is he said over and over to us. I'll, all my work is simply to be an extension of master. And he said, I have long tried to tune in to master in such a way that every thought that I think is guided by him. And then later he said, that wasn't enough. I want every thought, every feeling, every action, everything that I do, to be guided by Master. And that's the disciple's part. So the guru is the Sun, putting out that energy. And the disciple's part is simply to be receptive and then to take that energy and manifest it as well as we're able with whatever karmic patterns we have brought into this life to receive that energy and manifest it And in doing that, we become transformed so that that energy becomes our energy, that consciousness becomes our consciousness until finally the guru is here to make us into images of light to bring us back into the vibratory creative power, the word of God from which we came. And through these great teachings, these great masters, we're not only given the techniques, but we're given the grace and the power for that process to happen. And it's a beautiful life, one that we can never be grateful enough to master. But what we can do is that we can recognize that God is always in front of us, always behind to the left, to the right, above, below, inside and outside, we can recognize that God is everywhere, that spirit is everywhere, and we are part of that spirit. God bless you.